uh, from time to time. All right, Exodus chapter 6, enough on that. And I want to get into the message this morning. Uh, I'm going to preach. It's got a number of different titles. I'm terrible with titles. Uh, a covenant-keeping God is how I've got it recorded in my iPad. Uh, but uh, you could... Uh, you could uh, uh, victory in Jesus, or I, I thought of a title on my way down this morning, He Set Me Free. Uh, that, that would be a good, uh, good title. I'm going to preach on salvation because that's what God told Moses to tell the people. Remember last week, we had Moses in the middle of a ministry crisis. Remember that? Uh, Pharaoh, he met that opposition from Pharaoh. He was doing what God had told him to do. Uh, he was uh, uh, obeying God. He had the message. God had given it to him. He marched in there and says, God, um, Pharaoh, God says to let the people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? And so basically Pharaoh says, make me. And God had told Moses that Pharaoh would say that. And he says, you tell him, you warn him that if he takes that stand, I'll take his firstborn. Because Israel is my firstborn. And Moses told him that. And he said, I don't care. And then when he got out of there, he made the lives of the people miserable. And so then the people, God's people, turned against him. Uh, I mean, I have some sympathy for Moses here. He's between a rock and a hard place. Uh, he's getting it from the devil's crew, and then he's getting it from God's crew. It's kind of like a pastor. I mean, you know, you, he's like, look, we can't be worldly. We can't do this, and we go that way. And then all of a sudden, the devil counterattacks, and God's people like, why'd you do that, pastor? And so you get it on both ends. It's the way it is. And so that's called ministry crisis. And we learned that when you're in the middle of a ministry crisis, and I had challenged uh, all of you to step up into ministry. That's what God wants. I want you to step up and serve him. There's many different ministries that you can get involved in around here to help your growth in Christ. I will tell you this. If you never serve God in some capacity in your local New Testament church, you will... You will plateau out and you won't grow no more spiritually and you'll stagnate. And you know stagnant water. You know how it gets those mud puddles, you know, that water gets stagnant in there. It starts stinking, don't it? And it breeds uh, mosquitoes and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and it becomes a problem. You don't want to be a stagnant Christian. So I challenge us to step up into ministry and to help out and to serve God and to serve one another. But now, Moses, we learn, you go to God in prayer. That's what happens. When you're faced with a crisis, you immediately go to God in prayer. That's what we learned last week. And then you wait on God for an answer. And that's what's going on here in chapter 6. God gives Moses an answer. And I'm hoping by the time we're through Exodus that I will be able to have given you five things to do when you're faced with a crisis of faith. A crisis of faith. Let me give them, let's see if I can give them to you off the top of my head. Again, I still didn't write them down. I have them, they're written down in the study. But I'm trying to just give you one at a time instead of giving you all of them. Number one, you thank God for the crisis. Now that's hard to do. You say, how do you know that? Because my air conditioner went down in the parsonage. 
And I've got news for you. I don't want to thank God for the crisis. That's really not a crisis of faith. You know what I thought of? The first thought I thought of when I jumped up at 5 this morning? Children of Israel didn't have air conditioner in that desert. (laughs) 40 years in a tent. You ever been in a tent in the summer? That's rough. That's rough. They didn't have ceiling fans. And so I was thinking about that. But a crisis, you, you could say that's a, it's not a crisis. Trust me, it's not a crisis of faith. But because we're so spoiled rotten and, and we're just so shallow, that's a crisis. I get all upset. I get, I get mad. I get upset. God hates me. Why did this happen? I think all that stuff. It's like just because the air conditioner went, yeah, it's, it needs a little Freon or something. No big deal. But yeah. You know what Jen told me last night? She says, well, at least you didn't run out of water. (laughs) That was the plague 20, 30 years ago when you live in the country on a well. About this time you start running out of water. Oh, my blood will boil. Crisis. Okay, thank God for the crisis. I had to get right before I got in the pulpit. Thank God for the crisis. Number two, look for a way to make God look good. So I didn't stay home. I come to church. Amen. Amen. Well, it was cool down here. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Look for a way to make God look good. Fervently pray is the third one. And that was the one we pulled out last week. But then wait on God was number four. Wait on the answer from God. And God's going to give him an answer. And then five is take the next step of faith. These will be the five rules, five things. You can say five principles that you would do when faced or you find yourself in the middle of a crisis of faith or a crisis. Remember what I said about thanking God for the crisis? God chose you to represent him in that crisis. God could have chose anybody. God did not have to choose Moses, but he chose Moses. Just like God chose uh, me and the air conditioner, and it's really not a crisis of faith. And and I'm not going to keep hammering on that because it's not. it's, it's, It's a spoiled, rotten problem is what that is. We all grew up without air in our homes. And we used to come to church without airs in our own. By the way, this one needs Freon in it too. Because it's not shut off since we've been. So we've got two. You can tell where this crisis went with me. What a coincidence. I don't think the devil wanted me to preach this message this morning on the 4th or the 3rd of July. I don't think the devil wants you to know how to handle a crisis of faith. But look to... Praise God and to thank God for the crisis because God has chosen you to represent him in that crisis. Now that makes it take on a different dimension that God's trusted you to act appropriately in the crisis. And to which I had to get on my face and ask God to forgive me because I was not acting right. I don't like it when things like that go down. Simple. I mean, it wasn't like someone was beating on the door trying to drag me out for preaching last Sunday. 
I mean, now that's a crisis. That would be a crisis. Just because you had a flat tire, the cats got sick, and, you know, uh, uh, you know one of the dogs ain't feeling right, so you've got to stay home because it stubbed its toe last week. Those are not crises, okay? Now, somebody goes to dragging you out of your house because you're preaching the gospel, you've got a Bible, or you've assembled at church and they're writing you tickets, and they're telling you you can't assemble. That would be considered a crisis of faith. To which we would thank God for that crisis. Two, look for a way to make God look good. Three, we would go to fervently prayer to God. And then four, wait on the answer. And then five, take the next step of faith. Now, here, chapter six, let's read some scripture and get into today's message. Because this is what God tells Moses. So this is the answer that God gave Moses and his ministry crisis. Then the Lord said unto Moses. Alright this is the answer. Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. He said don't you. You just hang on a little bit. Pharaoh be happy to get rid of you. When I'm done with him. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. That's a title. I am the Lord. That's Yahweh. That's Elohim. That's Jehovah. Now watch what he does. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. All right. Now he's saying, by the name of God Almighty. Now if you used to run that through, Isaiah chapter 9 says that Jesus Christ, one of his names is going to be God Almighty, or the Almighty God, the Prince of peace and so your bible's teaching you a little something it's teaching you about the trinity it's teaching you a little bit about god and the different names of god and god almighty means covenant making god and that's what he's telling moses he said i made a covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob he had made a covenant he walked and and talked with abraham face to face you say well who was that i thought god was a spirit and no man seen God at any time. It was the incarnated, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Almighty God. That's who it was. You said, well, I didn't know that. Well, it's important that you know that names are important. But he says, now look, this is how Abraham knew me. The covenant-making God. He said, I made that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now watch this. This was 450 years in the past. And he says, but by my name Jehovah, it's all capital, was I not known to them? Now it didn't mean he didn't know the word Jehovah, or he never referred to God as Jehovah, but he knew Jehovah as a covenant-making God, almighty God. Now the Lord's getting ready to Reveal something to Moses. And I was teaching uh, the, on, on the doctrine of the word of God and how important it is. And how that the Bible teaches us line upon line and precept upon precept. Here a little and there a little. And there is something in the word of God called progressive revelation. 
That means, and I don't mean progressive as in liberal progressivism. I'm talking about progressive as in it has a line that progresses through time that God reveals himself a little more each time down through man's timeline. He don't give it to us all at once. We couldn't handle it. You're talking about an infinite God dealing with a finite creature. We can't handle it. It's like trying to put all the waters in the ocean and fit them inside a five-gallon bucket. It's not going to work. And so God said, Abraham, he understood about me being the covenant-making God. But he came and he died before I was able to keep that covenant. But he says, now... You tell these people that I'm going to be Jehovah and they're going to know me as being the covenant-keeping God. The covenant-keeping God. Now watch this. Verse 4, And I have also established my covenant with them, referring to Almighty God, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. What's he saying? He's describing to you the definition of this name Jehovah, the covenant Keeping God. In verse 7 he says, And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Let us pray. And let's get into this message and what does it mean. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now for our day. Lord, help us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we've been born in America. And that we have freedom of religion. We're able to assemble today. We don't have to worry about being bombed today. Uh, but we, we can worship you. And I, I believe there's so many that are not worshiping that know they should be worshiping. And Lord, I ask that you deal with them. Lord, help us and bless us today. These people have taken time out of a schedule, a holiday, weekend, to come and worship and to put you first in their lives and help us and bless us and keep us on the straight and narrow. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And so we see this here that this opposition, and something that I want you to get, in the middle of this opposition, God is still interested and presenting and communicating his message of the gospel of peace to the people. In spite of the opposition that Pharaoh was given, and Pharaoh immediately began to make these people's lives a lot harder than it was before Moses showed up. 
And sometimes I hate to tell you that that's what happens when the man of God shows up and, and things get worse before they get better. And when God wants to change a direction or when God wants to lead some people out or God wants to come in and work in an area that there will be great opposition. You need to mark her down and get used to it that the devil is going to oppose you. Satan does not want you in church. Satan does not want you to serve God. Satan does not want you to sing to God. Satan does not want you to think about God. And he will oppose you any way that he can. You need to know that. And then sometimes, sometimes the children of God will oppose you. Because life is made harder for them. And they retaliate. That can be a hard thing. But in the middle of all that, God wants the message to still go out. So he's telling Moses, I want you to go back and to tell the people what I've told you. And there in verse 9, and Moses spake, so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. They wouldn't even listen now to the preacher as he preached. Message from God. He'd been on his face to the Lord. He'd been preaching. He'd been praying. He'd been studying. And then he delivered it. And they wouldn't even listen. Because the devil was beating on them that hard. You had one of those kind of weeks where you just didn't have a real good week. And you really mean well, and you come to church, and you just can't get nothing out of it. You can't pay attention long enough to keep your mind focused on what the preacher's preaching about. And because you've got so many troubles, you've got such a burden on your shoulder, and you're just like, oh, I don't know. That's the devil. <laughs> That's the devil. That's your opposition. So what do I do? You hang in there. <laughs> You stick with it. You say, well, I really need to hear something for God. Get used to the silence of God in a lot of times of your life. We'll preach on that in the years to come, the months to come, the science of God. But I want to give you three things this morning because this is a perfect picture of salvation's message right here in the Old Testament, right here. And I start our discipleship class even right here. And this is why people do not understand the gospel today. This is why people do not understand what God's about is because they know nothing about the Old Testament. They know nothing about what God did for the nation of Israel. And God did say this was the church that was in the wilderness. Now it might not have been written to us, but there is application and there's things that we can learn from this and make applications and apply the principles to our life. And the first thing I see here, as he says in verse 6, I will redeem you. Man, that's good. Talking about redemptions. You can't get saved today unless Jesus redeems you. And he did. He did redeem us. That's why he died on the cross. If you ever had that question, why did Jesus have to die? Because uh, there's a penalty that has to be paid. God had to buy us back. And that's called the act of redemption. To buy back or to save. Uh, to save. To redeem. To save. 
And that's what the covenant keeping God is telling Moses to tell the people. You tell the people that as sure as I made that covenant with Abraham, I'm going to keep the covenant and I will redeem you. An interesting study in the word of God is the I wills of God. You know, the devil had some I wills. But God's got some I wills, and I assure you, God upholds and accomplishes His will. Nobody is going to stop God when He wants to perform His will. And He's telling Moses, You tell the people, I will redeem you. That is justification, my friend. Uh, that is salvation. He's telling them, I'm here to make good on my promise. I'm here, he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. He said, I'm going to set you free from bondage. Amen. Amen. I think it kind of goes with the holiday that we got in. We've been set free. We have freedom of religion. That was one of the reasons America was formed. That we come out of England. And England said the state and the king said if you don't adopt the state religion, we're going to persecute you. We're going to not allow you to worship God unless you do it our way. And so we come in. We have one of the articles in our constitution is freedom of religion. I didn't say freedom from religion. I said freedom of religion, that we're free to worship. And the state has no say when we assemble to worship God. That's why America was formed. It was formed as a Christian nation. And we fought and men died to set that and to make sure we're free. Been a lot of blood spilt for that. And I'd hate to just let that go in our lifetime, wouldn't you? It almost did two years ago, a year, year ago during the COVID thing. Well, you didn't think they wouldn't have a good reason to shut church down, did you? The devil's at work in this thing. The devil hates a free people that are free to worship God. But God says, I'm here as the covenant-keeping God, and I'm here to redeem you. I'm here to justify you. I'm here to set you free from bondage of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the type of Satan. Pharaoh and Egypt is the type of the world. God saves us to set us free from Satan and sin, not free to stay into sin. I don't understand these people that try to tell me, they try to convince me they got saved, but yet they're still living in sin. There's a problem with that because your Bible's teaching you as early as Exodus, when God saves you, when God redeems you, He said, I will bring you out. That's Pharaoh. That's the world. I'm bringing you out. We've not been set free to stay in sin. He said, I'll bring you out. I will rid you. God does this work. Did you note that language? I will bring you. It's an act that God does. It's a perfect picture of salvation. We don't save ourselves. I had a preacher friend call this week and said they had a person bring somebody up to the altar and said, hey, hey, uh, you know, they need to say that prayer. They need to say a prayer so they can get saved. They need to say that prayer. They need to say a prayer. They need to get them to say the prayer. 
And we're like, what in the world? And so this preacher said, I began to talk to this individual. And this individual was no more under conviction than the man of the moon. He didn't know what he was doing. He was dating this girl. This girl wanted him to get saved. And so she brought him up and said, just have him say the sinner's prayer. Let him say the prayer. Let him say the prayer so he gets saved. I got news for you. That ain't salvation, folks. Biblical salvation God's going to save you when you accept him. And he says, I will bring you out. I'm going to set you free. This group, if you want to know where they're at, who they are, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. This is the power they're denying, the power of change, the power that God will bring them out. If someone tries to tell you they got saved and they're still living like the devil and they're in love with Satan, Pharaoh, in love with the world, they're lying to you. They're trying to tell you that God can't do what he says he'd do. When God justifies you, he brings you out. Just like he brought the children of Israel out. Said, I will redeem you. I mean, after all, if he redeems you, if he buys you, if he saves you, he owns you. Oh, that's what we're getting here. But here's another thing I've seen. I'm on down to that next verse, verse 7. Now, this gets a little more hands-on. Note the language. I will take you to, now what direction? Me for a people. You see that? You see that? That's simple. That's sixth grade English. It's very clear. I will take. He didn't say carry. He didn't say bring. Take is a little more forceful. <laughs> You've probably said that to your kids a time or two. If you don't be quiet, I'm going to take you to the bathroom. You know what that implies? It means they're probably not going to go voluntarily, but they're going. Uh, that's the language he's using here. You know what this is called? It's called sanctification. You can put that up there, boys. Sanctification. That's that bad word. That the modern day liberal Christian doesn't want to know nothing about. They don't want to know nothing about this language. They don't, they don't. I listened to a preacher, a very famous preacher. I'm not going to name his name. I'm not going to give him that kind of credit. He doesn't think that it's important to disciple Christians. Just save them and baptize them. He's leaving out one-third of the Great Commission. He's leaving out one-third of the whole counsel of God. That's why our churches are in such a mess. Nobody knows anything about sanctification. Nobody thinks that sanctification is part of salvation. Not to get saved after God saves you. He said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. That means with a mighty hand. That direction... Two denotes direction. That got me, this old preacher, to thinking. I know of a verse over there in Romans chapter 8, about verse 29. I'll, I'll quote it for you. I'll read it, actually. For whom he did foreknow, 
He also did predestinate, here's our little word, to. Uh-oh. So he said, when, he, when, when, when you get saved, God's already predestinated when you get saved. There's only one direction you're going if you're a saved person. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's Romans 8.28. You know what he's talking about? Sanctification. He's talking about when you get saved, everybody's going to know you're going to get saved because I'm going to begin to work in your life and there's going to be a direction in your life. You're not going towards Satan and the world no more. You're not going to be comfortable in Egypt no more. Matter of fact, they're going to be cruel to you and they're going to try to keep you in bondage. You're coming towards God. He said, I will take you to me. Uh Uh-oh. Your new direction is toward Christ. They were to leave Egypt to serve God. That's what God told them. When you leave out of here, you're coming to serve me. The modern day Christian, most of them think when they get saved, they can worship whatever they want and however they want. Not if you're talking about the salvation this Bible talks about, you don't. Now the devil's got a gospel that he preaches. It says, if you, don't, if you do everything I say, you can do whatever you want. Stay in Egypt. I'll give you free food. Work for me, and I'll make life easy. You want to serve the one true God, and I'll come down on you hard. And so people like, I don't like persecution. I don't like sanctification. Why can't I just get saved so I go to heaven, but can I stay in the world? And with Pharaoh and pretend I'm his friend? Can I play with the devil and have God pay the rent? No, don't work that way. You're either all in or you're out. I know a man in this Bible who kissed the door of heaven and still went to hell. Judas. Jesus said that he was the door. If any man would enter in, he'd come through him. Did not Judas kiss the cheek of Jesus? Judas was so close to God that he actually kissed the door of heaven and still died and went to hell. Wow. Yeah, you better get your salvation right. This is sanctification. We're saved to serve. We're not saved to stay in Egypt. We're not saved to stay in sin or saved to stay in the world. We're not saved to sit. We're not. We're to be busy about the master's business. And this perfectly lines up with our salvation. The Lord says he's going to take you out. That means he's taking possession of When you get saved, Christ moves in on the inside of you. He takes possession of. This Bible says that he hath begun, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. I got news for you. You say, preacher, one of the reasons I don't get saved is because I can't change. Have you seen that anywhere in this text or anywhere in the Bible where you got to try to change? If you got to try to live like a Christian, I assure you, you're not. I'll say it again. 
If you got to try hard or try to live like a Christian, you're not a Christian. You're fooling yourself. The devil's playing with you. You're not a Christian. Because saved people act like saved people. Just like sheep don't act like cows. Sheep don't act like pigs. Pigs act like pigs. Amen? God teaches that lesson in the Bible. Hogs act like hogs. Now you can wash a hog all up. You can write books about Charlotte's Web about hogs and take them to the fair. But I got news for you. When you turn them back loose, back into the pen and leave them alone, they're going to get right back down in that mud and walla. The only thing a hog is good for is bacon, pork chop, and ribs. <laughs> but my point is, there's a lot of hogs try to tell you they're Christian while they're wallowing, and they're not. Because they've never been sanctified. One more point. You see there in verse 8, and I'll be done. He said, I will bring you. Now, that's a little different language than the taking. <laughs> that word bring implies that he's going to carry you the whole way. You're, now, what did Jesus say? He says, you're in my hands. You're in the Father's hands. And no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Why? Because once you get saved, he's going to bring you. After he takes you, when you get saved, God takes you from Satan. If you thought Satan was just going to give you up free and that you could do it yourself, you're kidding yourself again. It don't work that way. God has to do the work. And God takes you. And God takes possession. That's why in true salvation, there's change. There has to be change because God's living in there. And I got news for you. Last time I checked this Bible, God don't live in hog pens. See, the modern day liberal Christian doesn't know nothing about salvation because he doesn't know nothing about this. And here it is in Exodus 6. And Moses is preaching the gospel to the children of Israel. Before Jesus even died on the cross. He said, but I'll bring you in. That's called glorification. So we learn justification, sanctification, glorification. He set me free. He set you free. We have victory in Jesus. We serve the covenant-keeping God. And God will keep his word. When God saves you, there'll be no doubts. He said, I'm going to lead you. To bring means to lead, to carry. I'm going to bring you to a new land to live in. You're going to live in a different way. He's going to carry you, he says there in this verse, to their inheritance. Fulfilling his promise. Now, God's made you and me a promise. It's basically, I, I'm preaching you Jesus right out of this text. Hang on, because it'll get better by the time we get into chapter 12 of Exodus. 
They get to learn about what Jesus is going to do on the cross in the future by the lamb they have to sacrifice. And the Lord tells them to take the blood in a bowl and a hyssop and strike it on the door. One mark above. Say, what's that a picture of? The cross. Redemption. All Israel was able to leave Egypt in the world. They didn't want no part of them no more. <laughs> Jen and I had this conversation yesterday, which was a good conversation because my belly was full of biscuits and gravy. <laughs> I said, have you noticed... That if you just stand for God and just tell people you love Jesus, we never have any problem with worldly friends hanging around us. It's not that I don't want to hang around them. I, I like company. I, I like fellowship. Can't find them. You want to know why? <laughs> God said, Pharaoh's going to get rid of you with a heavy hand. When I take possession of you, I'm going to make his life so miserable because you're around. He's going to tell you to get. That's right. When you tell people you love Jesus, that you're a Christian, you don't ever have to worry about separating from them. They'll separate from you. <laughs> You'll just wake up one day and like, wow, I wonder where so-and-so went. Weren't they our friends? No. No, no, not if you're going to stay at Bethel. Not, not, not if you're going to stay with God. Mm -mm. Justification, glorification, sanctification. He set me free. God can set you free this morning. Have you ever been born again? This is the promise of God. This is the covenant-keeping God. We serve just Jehovah. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life's blood for you and I. He gave his life blood for the whole world. Now the whole world probably ain't going to accept it. Because they like Pharaoh too much and sin too much. But for those people. So you know what? I want to believe in this Jesus. There is salvation for you today. But I tell you, God's going to bring you out of Egypt. So if you're not sick of your sins yet, and you're not sick of the world yet, you're not ready for salvation yet. You say, oh man, I've never heard a preacher preach like that. That's what's wrong with churches today. Everybody, I'm not interested in numbers. I, I do not count new converts numbers. Like you'd put a notch in a gun as a gunslinger. Mm-mm. No. 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 It's not a numbers game with me. It's a serious game with me. If you're serious with God, you say, you know what? I, I, I want to trust Jesus. Then he'll bring you out. And he'll take you. And he'll move in and take possession, I assure you. And then he'll begin to make changes in your life. A change in how you act and a change in your location. 
You just won't be comfortable in the world no more. But you'll be saved forever. And he will bring you, that's to carry you, like a nurse doth his child, all the way to our inheritance, which is heaven, to live forever. Let's all stand this morning.